Basically, what I'm hearing is Chris and Jackie go into a room and and they're fighting over a barrel and Jackie's winning the the, the fights right now. Is that what you're saying? No, I wouldn't say that. I would say, I mean, mean, if it did come down to a physical battle, I would put my money on Jackie. (laughs) This is episode 201 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny. And let's go through a little bit of the news, but really the big news this week, and maybe you're living underneath a rock, you weren't looking at social media, you weren't looking at any of the news articles that came out, but Marion Eves, the master distiller at Castle and Key, the one that was renowned as being the first female master distiller since Prohibition, in a joint press release has announced her resignation from the distillery with mixed emotions. In various news articles, she expresses that she isn't done yet being a master distiller and will continue to stay in the industry as a consultant. We recorded an episode back on, I think it was, actually it was 18, back with Mary, and this was before Castle and Key, the name was even ever conceived, and it was being referred to as the former Old Taylor Distillery. So make sure you go and you check that out and kind of check out her past and her you know, everything that she had built because we had started this podcast pretty much the same exact time she was coming online with Castle and Key. So we wish Marianne all the best in her future opportunities and endeavors, and we look forward to having her back on the show once again. This didn't get much publicity, but I was a part of Media Day at Churchill Downs during Derby Week, and Fred, along with I, we got to hear Chris Morris and Elizabeth Bacall talk about Woodford Batch Proof. And we didn't really know all the details about it, but come to find out, it's going to be a new product line extension and will only be released one time per year at the beginning of spring, which happens to be around derby time. Of course, batch proof is somewhat like barrel proof, but not exactly. What they do is they have their standard offering of Woodford Reserve, and then every barrel is rinsed out with a gallon of water and added back into the batch. And most of us kind of know that, or we call it the devil's cut. So just a little tidbit of information. So if you're looking for a more higher proof version of Woodford, and it's going to be different every single year, go and check out the Woodford Batch Proof. On our news, Pursuit Series Episodes 10 and 11 are now on sale this week to our Patreon community at first. You know, we've been talking about Episode 10 for a while, and we're super excited to release it because this is a five-year weeded bourbon coming from Finger Lakes Distilling. And this distillery is getting crazy good accolades. We featured them back on the Empire Rye episode, and they get good reviews from pretty much everywhere. Blake Ryber of Bourboner, as well as Aaron Goldfarb of Hacking Whiskey, sold out a barrel of their ice wine finished bourbon in 48 hours. Michael Veach recently reviewed their McKenzie Bottled and Bond bourbon, and Breaking Bourbon even named that Bottled and Bond bourbon one of their best bourbons of 2018. And now we have the first ever barrel-proof release at five years old. Episode 11 is right around the corner as well, and it's a short barrel. And who doesn't love short barrels? Only 112 bottles were in this barrel, and it is the second highest proof we have released thus far, coming in at 114.3. It's also 10 years old, so it's got that good middle of the age, or sorry, middle of the road sort of age to it. As usual, first access is to our Patreon community, so make sure that you're checking out your emails to get your password for access. We're excited to have Campbell Brown back on the show. If you've been a longtime listener, you may have remembered him being a part of the Legend Series partnership that we have with the Kentucky Derby Museum, and that was back on episode 98. As the president of Old Forester, he oversees a lot of the brand's momentum and strategy. With anyone interested in a business background, this is one you're going to find entertaining. And with that, let's go hear from our good friend Fred Minnick 
with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. When I walked into the Brown Foreman office to interview Chris Morris, I sat down in a nice leather chair. The PR person's office was surrounded with like fishing photos and family photos. It felt very friendly. And then in walked a young woman I had never met before. She was tall, blonde hair, very pretty. And she extended her hand and said, Hi, I'm Marianne Eves. Said, nice to meet you. Chris looked at me and said, Marianne is our new master taster. Brown Foreman had just named Marianne to be the master taster of the Woodford Reserve brand. And I later learned that she was on a path to become the next master distiller for Woodford Reserve. Imagine that, being in your early 20s and having the opportunity to become the master distiller for one of the greatest bourbon brands on the market. Now, at at the time, I thought to myself, I never met her. And what does this young woman know? And despite my my background in in covering uh, women and whiskey, writing the book, Whiskey Women, I had only just met Marianne. I felt like Marianne needed to prove herself a little bit before I could officially think in my mind that, you know, she is capable of being a master distiller. And so I talked to her. And what I learned from her within 30 minutes was that she was one of the brightest young minds, not just in Kentucky, but in all of American whiskey. She could tell you everything there was to know about corn and how much starch to extract and how to distill it and what are the different distillation techniques to get whatever you need out of something. She was an engineer and she chose to go into bourbon versus making ethanol or, or something else because bourbon was her passion. And when she announced her departure of Brown Foreman for a new distillery that would be starting up at the old Taylor facility, which is actually near Woodford Reserve, I was kind of stunned because who, after all, would leave the opportunity to become the master distiller of Woodford Reserve? And then I got to know Marianne even more. She has that entrepreneurial spirit. She wanted to do her own thing. She wanted to be a part of something new. Well, this past week, Marianne announced her departure of Castle and Key. And it's a little bit of a historic one from an American whiskey perspective. You see, Marianne was the first woman to take the title Master Distiller at a Kentucky distillery. Now, don't get me wrong. There were women in the past who actually were doing Master Distiller work, but they did not take the title. And I think when you put the Master Distiller title on your card, you got a little bit of a target on your back. And after her departure, you saw that target getting pelted for Marianne. There were people who were making fun of her for her, um, how she is on social media saying things like, well, who will take selfies now at the distillery? There were people who were pointing out the fact that her bourbon had not yet hit the market. How can she call herself a master distiller? And I got to tell you, all of that disappointed me greatly because here was a young woman who took a risk and left one of the most comfortable positions you could possibly be in the distilling business. She took a risk for something new. It didn't work out. It happens to all of us. We don't know the reasons, 
It could be personal. It could be professional. There could have been conflict there. She may have not gotten along with her bosses and who here has not who here has not been in a position where they were working for someone they couldn't stand? Maybe that's what it was, or maybe it was vice versa. I don't know. I don't know the reasons why Marianne left, but she did not deserve the vitriolic comments that she got from people on social media. Didn't deserve a single one of them. But I also know Marianne rises above all of it because at the end of the day, she's a very talented young woman and she can do whatever she wants to include being the first master distiller in Kentucky whiskey history. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Fred Minnick. That's at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Knows Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to knowsyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. The whole team here today recording at the, I guess you could say maybe the Old Forester Studio, something like that. We're actually in the Old Forester Distilling Tasting Room, uh, actually seeing a a pretty cool behind-the-scenes kitchen-esque cocktail mixing sort of area. But this is going to be a a fun episode because our guest today was actually somebody that, unbeknownst to him, he he was on the show before. 
uh, from the Legend series that, of course, oh, Fred hosted. Right. Fred yeah. hosted. Yeah, the Kentucky Derby Museum Legend series. That was that's probably uh, my favorite of, of the of the Legend series I've done because Campbell's one of these guys that has been so instrumental, not just in bourbon but all of spirits. And people, people just hear, you know, he's a member of the Brown family and everyone thinks, oh, he just gets things handed to him. This guy worked his way up, you know, worked in foreign markets, did a lot of grunt work that uh, a lot of people in bourbon royalty wouldn't do. And so he's one of those people I like bringing to the forefront and telling his story a little bit because he's done a lot. He's done a lot to help people like us. You know, yeah. you say grunt work. I also know that at some point he was the the SoCo ambassador at one point, oh, right? Yeah. So that's a little that's, grunt work. <laughs> the, so, the SoCo, by SoCo, we mean Southern Comfort. Yes. And, uh, you know, at one time that was uh, that was a brilliant brand. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And it helped. Uh, it was a part of the Brown Foreman family. Of course, they sold it to uh, Sazerac. And, and, you know, I think we should ask him about, like, well, what was that like for him? Because he did have such an, uh, an emotional connection to it. And, of course, he's and also— who came up with Soko Lawn shots, you know? <laughs> that was, that's a big, I, that's a big that, I, I'm not really interested in the, in the lime <laughs> shots. So, but, well, but you, the, you're always wanting to drink Fireball or Southern Comfort or something. That's right up my alley, you know. Should <laughs> we really—I mean, should we have him on anymore, Kenny, I'm, with all I'm this, getting, like, flavored well, whiskey stuff? I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, t- you tell you what, before we started recording, uh, you know, they offered us a drink, and, and Ryan kind of piqued his interest. So tell everybody— what we're drinking as well we got in front of us well so jackie was in the cabinet you know picking some selections for me and she said i have some president's choice barrels she kind of whispered to camel and camel's like no no and i was like uh i heard that so <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll do, take that we'll so, do the barrel proof version much of appreciated it. jackie <laughs> but uh as you can see i think this episode will be a lot juicier than the the legend series because we've been here boozing all day in the the research lab yeah, yeah. just kidding responsibly but, uh, <laughs> we've responsibly been responsibly sipping yeah. absolutely so with that let's go ahead and introduce our guest so today we have Campbell Brown. Campbell is the president and managing director of Old Forester for Brown Foreman. So, Campbell, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, we, we kind of gave you a, a little mm. bit of a, a head start of what you did and growing up into here and doing some grunt work and kind of yep. cutting your teeth in the industry. But I kind of want to take it back a little bit because as some of our listeners may not know, uh, you're from originally Montreal. Uh, I was born here in Louisville. And then uh, moved to Montreal. I turned five. I moved to Montreal, and I, I turned five uh, in Montreal. Yeah, and I, I, grew, I grew up there. Your Wikipedia My, research was yeah, wrong. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we get it. All right, so somebody update the Wikipedia page before I have to. But I also want to give anybody that's from out of town, and in and Fred had already hinted at it too, of the name Brown and what that means to the city of Louisville because you've got the Brown Hotel. You've got the Brown Theater. I mean, you've got a damn the food. The Brown Cancer Center. You've got the Brown. You've got All the, different Browns. You've got, yeah. the, you've got the hot Brown. You've yeah. got everything, yeah. right? Yeah. So kind of just talk about. I kind of wish that one was ours. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of talk about the Brown influence of, of just in Louisville, just for anybody that's listening that's across the nation. Um, well, I, our family's, you know, been a part of the city, uh, and for generations, um, even going back before George Garvin Brown, you know, we, we've had, you know, family in, in Kentucky and, and um, I think involved in, in, the, in the state uh, from a political standpoint, from a commercial standpoint, philanthropic standpoint. Uh, you know, it's, it's our home. Um, I think we're so proud that, um, you know, the, the city's been really quite good to our family and to this business. Um, my, you know, my, you know, I, I was born here 
um, in 67. I kind of spent my early years here. But growing up in Montreal, it was all a little bit foreign. I remember, you know, coming back here in the summers for a couple weeks and just remembering how incredibly hot it was. (laughs) Sweating your ass off. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, that's a a new heat that we don't get up in Canada much. And then, um, you know, farms. Everyone, like, everyone had a farm. And so we would go out to my grandmother's farm um, or, you know, an uncle. And, and, you know, you just you know, see these animals that you just don't see in, in, in Westmount, in Montreal, where we grew up. And then, you know, eating like lima beans, never really was into lima beans until I got here. And frankly, I don't think I've been into lima beans until about 10 years ago. I think that's really an acquired taste. Um, that's something I never no. thought we would start talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, like lima, lima beans. beans. You know, the best lima, beans. lima beans is Pat's Steakhouse. It does, yeah. Oh, I love Pat's. The best. Yeah. Sorry, so yeah. no kidding. No, Gets back is, on track. We good. expect a royalty check from Pat's after this. Yes. The, um, uh, well, he's a cash operating business too, so that should. <laughs> oh, he actually quickly. started taking credit cards. Yeah, really? Yeah, he I gotta, finally okay. bit the bullet. Got audited. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, Louisville's uh, and Kentucky. Obviously, you know, our family's been around here for a number of years and generations. I think um, you know, it, it's a great city. It's got a great attitude. I think it's an exciting time to be a part of this city. Um, and I think, you know, I, I like having a family here. My, you know, I've, my eldest child was born in Annapolis. My youngest was born here in Louisville. Um, you know, I, it's, it's great raising a, a family here. It's, um, you know, I just, I like, I like what's happening in the city and I want to be a part of it. And I think the, you know, most people that have been a part of this city for um, a lifetime, you know, we talk about our high schools and where we went to school. I mean, I think there's a reason for that is that we all have these great, really strong emotional connections um, that go back to childhood. And you've got people that come in and out of the city. I mean, I was out of here for six or seven years, um, always knowing that I was going to be coming back in. So it's, um, yeah, it's a unique place. And and I think we've been fortunate that um, we got into the right business at the right time and it's thrived for, for quite some time now and, and uh, gives us a chance to um, kind of enjoy being in an industry that's got so much to do with uh, with this city and the state. And I'll add to, you know, a little bit of the Brown legacy, um, you know, Campbell mentioned politics. They've you know, they've had a lot of people in high places there. But to me, the Brown family is really about philanthropy. Uh, and if it was not for the Brown family, I mean, we wouldn't be talking about Whiskey Row today. I mean, they essentially saved Whiskey Row what, where we are right now. And they, when... Um, Louisville was crumbling from an art perspective. The Brown family kind of held it up, you know. So you go around our museums here and you'll see a Brown at the top of every one of the donors. So they're a very, very important family for our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is there like, you know, as Kenny and Fred say, the Browns are like one of the most famous families probably in the city. Is there like a pressure or like something, you know, like we got to keep this thing going or how's that feel to be a part of that tradition and keep it going? Well, um, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I think you just, you certainly, you want to be respectful to what the city represents and reflect that, you know, appropriately. I think, um, you know, I don't know if it's pressure. I think that the, at all, really. I, th- I think, you know, you're, many of us have uh, different jobs and doing different things. And, and I think there's a, there's a, um, I think a, 
a bias towards staying engaged, uh, staying interested, understanding kind of the issues and the opportunities of the city and figuring out ways in which we can help like anybody would really in, in, in our own individual ways, um, you know, to help to find solutions and empower people and empower ideas. Um, and I think that, you know, frankly, there are so many people in this city in particular that are doing that every day. I mean, I work with Holly McKnight. Her husband, J.K. McKnight, has uh, done a ton for this city through, you know, his philanthropy and through his interest in music. And he the can community. throw a party, that's for sure. <laughs> he can yeah. throw a party. Uh, great, great taste. Um, you know, so I, I think that, and there's like individual after individual uh, like that that are that are here, you know, looking. I think because it's a city that's fairly manageable size, it gives individuals an opportunity to kind of make things happen that would be much harder to do, even in a Nashville, certainly in a New York or Miami. But I think there's still a, a, an economy of scale that allows a good idea or a strong individual to make something powerful happen. It's a big, small town. Yeah, yeah. So I also want to kind of just talk about your your rise within inside the ranks of Brown Foreman too, because a little bit of research shows that you had started off in the mailroom yep. at, at Brown Foreman. So kind of talk about the steps that you took up the ladder to, to kind of where you are today. Um, well, I mean, we, we've got a great internship. I mean, the, the, the internship program's gotten a whole lot better since I was a part of it. Um, and that's how I got involved. You know, I, I didn't know anything about really the business. I grew up in, in Montreal. Uh, I had a chance to move, uh, spend a summer in Louisville. I got a job in the mailroom. Um, I think, you know, those types of opportunities in a mailroom give you a real uh, perspective on who people are in a company, what different groups do, individuals do. You, you learn about the brands. I remember walking in and to my cousin Mac Brown's office, and I think he was part of the Jose Garneau company at the time and was running maybe Martel and just seeing the point of sale in his office and going, God, how do you get this job? This would be great. <laughs> Look at that. I mean, you know, just some neat stuff. And, and I think it's a business that kind of captures your imagination and you see kind of neat things that you can touch and feel. And, and so that certainly gives you a nice kind of insight into you know, uh, how people get their jobs done. And, and and it's a beautiful campus. If you've ever been down to Brown Foreman, it really is set up like a university campus and it's a great place to work. And so that, that certainly um, draws you in. And then, um, you know, I, I went and got a, a graduate degree and came back in 94 and started to work. Actually, we were talking, you were talking in the intro about Sazerac. Mark Brown uh, who runs Sazerac was uh, hired me at Brown Foreman uh, when he was running the Advancing Markets Group. And so I began working in, in that, like our Emerging Markets Group in 94. I went to Chicago for a bit. I was supposed to be there for a couple of years and um, an opportunity opened up um, for me overseas. And I got in, I was asked to come back to Louisville to interview for the job, but they wouldn't tell me what the job was. And so I, I, you know, I spent basically the better part of a day trying to figure out why I was in Louisville and what I was going to be, <laughs> what job. And then I kind of figured it out. And as it turned out, they wanted me to go to India. And I think they were just nervous about telling me that while I was living in Chicago, thinking I might not come for the interview just because it's such a far way to go. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult market. It's not, you know, when you're 24, 25 years old and somebody says, hey, do you want to go to Australia? Yes, I do. When do you want to go to India? It's such a foreign place and you really don't have the same kind of 
immediate <laughs> uh, interest, frankly, in, in kind of moving up there and, and going to a, a country that big and that vast. Um, and I ended up moving there. I was supposed to go there for four months. I ended up spending a year and uh, I left that place in tears. I absolutely loved it. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I w got to travel all over the country, helping set up a joint venture where we were local bottling, Southern Comfort. So that was my first kind of introduction into a relationship with a brand that I had off and on for uh, over a decade at the company. And um, it was just great. It was fantastic, great people, great food. Uh, what was your favorite Indian food dish? Uh, chicken tikka masala. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like Big a sag paneer. Love the uh, naan. Yeah, naan bread, delicious. I mean, everything about it I loved. Um, yeah. And then I moved to the Philippines to help uh, set up a joint venture over there, also around the Southern Comfort brand, and was on my way to Thailand to be a country manager, and I got um, persuaded to go help open up an office in Istanbul in Turkey for a regional marketing uh, office that we had there. And I went to do that and I ended up staying in Turkey for three and a half years before coming back to the U.S. Uh, as a U.S. brand manager for Southern Comfort. You should have been the Dos Equis, world's most interesting man. It sounds like <laughs> yeah, you've been just as many places as him. Well, yeah, maybe like some nice locations, but not nearly the exotic experiences <laughs> yeah. that uh, that guy had. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so what got you into the, I guess, the the old Forrester category? Was it to the point where you said, I, I kind of want to move on? Or was it the sale of Southern Comfort? And you said, okay, I'm looking for a new home. I, you know what? It, it was... Um, I think we began to see some interesting things happening for Old Forester. Um, we had we had had a great brand team that was coming up with some pretty wonderful ideas that are now we're we're drinking uh, you know the whole whiskey roll uh, concept, and there was an opportunity with the you know with the we finally got the approval to go build this distillery at the location we're at today. Um, and we wanted to bring that story together a little bit, like, you know, the, the story of a brand that's been around for 100 and almost 150 years that's been in our family and our company, uh, the, the kind of the business we started with was Old Forester and bringing that story of our family, the business and the community together. Um, at that point, I had about 20 years experience. So, you know, here's a person that actually, you know, may have the, you know, commercial sense to go lead this. And. And um, and had the the obvious you know the the right DNA um, to connect the dots on this five generation story and so uh, I you know I was asked to kind of head up the the building phase of this and and the capital project and then help lead the brand um, and tell the story of um, you know one of America's unique um, alcohol products and and uh, it's really been a, a pleasure to to be able to kind of have that role. Let's go to the the construction part of this first. I mean, first of all, it from a business perspective, you got to be nuts to try and build a distillery in a dilapidated. Yeah. <laughs> There's better places to do this, right? I think this yeah. area burnt down yeah. two times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what were you yeah. Yeah. take us through that process of like uh well, I, what I loved, it, what, what makes me feel good is like smarter people than me made the decision to yeah. put it here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that location site was picked well before I started. Um, 
Yeah, I think it will. I mean, that, but that's what makes it so special, you know, like True. here's a, a location that we actually like our founder officed out of for from whatever, uh, 1882 to, to 1919. And, you know, we get to move back in here. Uh, decades, generations later. I mean, so that's a special thing that when you get a chance to take advantage of that, you do it. Um, we, I feel like one of our core capabilities at the company is building wonderful home places that allow us to tell um, great brand stories while displaying a process. And um, we worked with some great partners here in town and, and out of town that, um, you know, frankly, put together a, um, a proposition that was hard to say no to. And that, you know, and frankly, you know, as, as you get into these projects, you like any kind of renovation or building, you know, something happens all the time that you're not expecting. Certainly the fire being a big, obvious one. Tell but, us about that. Let's, 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 let's go there because, yeah. um, was it 2014? Yeah. The, the, right when I started. Right when you started. So 2014, <laughs> fire, uh, there's smoke all downtown Louisville. The news crews are here. I see it on the news. That's how I find out about it. How did you guys, because it was, it was a, you, your tweet, you know, through my I'm, I'm here. I'm a first responder. So <laughs> yeah. I was, I was the first. Oh, that's right. I actually, I forgot. I, I came on the site and I was tweeting about it. I forgot about that. But what was, what was that like for you? Where were you? Yeah. What was going through your head when, when the fires, when the fire hit? So I was in, in the office at 850 Dixie Highway, and I got a phone call from a buddy of mine in corporate development who had a friend down here, works for one of the law firms or, or uh, one of the banks, I don't know, and he was looking out his window and, and called my, my colleague and said, look, I think, um, I think the building's on fire. And so I got the phone calls. Like, look, I just got a, friend, a call from a friend who says that the buildings downtown on Main Street are on fire. I don't know if it's the distillery or not, but you may want to check it out. And so I just, you know, I had my computer up and I, I, there was this live feed on, I think, Wave or one of WHAS, one of the stations off a helicopter. And I pulled it up and uh, for sure it was obvious that the block was on fire. Less obvious was... Was it, did we, was it in our building or was it down the block? And you, you knew no matter what, it was going to be a problem. Um, and your first reaction was it, was, it was shocking how violent the fire was, how um, much flame there was, the, uh, the number of, the amount of smoke, the amount of water being thrown at it. Um, it, was, uh, it was a big, big time fire. It was like, yeah. like watching a movie almost. And um, you're kind of paralyzed. And I called Mike Beach and Mike uh, and his team were already down here. And Mike is the project manager who really is the guy that built this place, managed all the, all the, um, the contractors and whatnot. And so, you know, we had our folks down here and kind of trying to understand it and really you're thinking about safety. I mean, what happens if somebody is killed as they're trying to kind of put this fire out? What, you know, and you know that they're taking the right precautions, but it was pretty, uh, it was pretty devastating. Um, you know, I and my wife, you know, my wife hears about it, you know, we're, then we're later at night, we're at home, the thing's still burning. Um, I begin to get a lot of phone calls, um, just from friends and, and, um, you know, they're, they're trying to find out about it. It was pretty awful. And, you know, you, you we were already planning on the groundbreaking, right? Like what that ceremony was going to look like and, and everything else. And and so that everything gets put on hold. And 
know, fortunately there there were no injuries. Um, you know, we're standing, we're sitting in the building today. So look, it was it was a horrible thing when it happened. Right. It's now a chapter in a long story. Um, and this whole block looks stunning, you know. And and so, I think we're we're pretty fortunate. Um, given but the how- work it took to get it there, because you, a lot of people would have just let it, you know, kind of tear down the facade and start from scratch. You all invested the money to actually save the uh, the the front, yep. and hold the brick in. I mean, Mike. I mean, the we have braces out here for months, yeah. Uh, and yeah. you guys were trying to protect the integrity of the building yeah. as much as you could. I mean, it was a dangerous, dangerous um, construction site for a long time. I mean, even as you're trying to clean up the inside, you know, there had been so much water put uh, on the on the on the building site to to extinguish everything that it just eroded the ground, it eroded all of the brick, and then, you know, things were loose. Uh, when you're up front on Main Street on this side, as we're trying to kind of uh, dig through that and, and brace it all, things are kind of crumbling as it's happening. And, um, you know, we had to call in special engineers. It took a lot of time, um, a, lo- a lot of smart minds looking at it, figuring out ways in which we could make it a safe environment to allow people to go back and work. And so we really just had... Um, you know, um, you know, experts in there, and and just very few at a time, and that took it. Just took a lot of time, and you know, you kind of make these connections in the romance copy of of what we do. You know, we're in a business that you know we're, we're we spend our time waiting around for stuff to get ready, and so, um, you know, you want to you want to be you want to be quick, and you want to make decisive decisions, but you also want to make the correct decisions. And you know, we took our time. I think we've got it right. Um, you know, this building, I think, is fascinating the way that yeah. we've constructed it now. And it's a beautiful facility. I think, um, you know, whether you're coming in here on a tour or you're going to George's or, or you're just here to, you know, walk walk around Main Street, it, it's it's been done right. And, you know, again, the, the fire is a chapter of a long story. Where are we at right now in the chapter? Yeah, I think this is that whole fun renaissance chapter, right? It's yeah. um, it's the chapter you want to be writing. And, um, you know, we're, we're thrilled with what's happening with the brand. Uh, I mean, even in Kentucky. I mean, th- this brand has always been a, a great brand for the city and for the state. But to see it grow um, and, and the, out, you know, the, the rural parts of Kentucky uh, embrace Old Forester in a way that, I, I mean, I just never saw in my lifetime. It's fantastic. You know, there's, there's always been this core heartbeat of the brand here in town and it's just kind of expanding there and then you see what's happening in these other markets and you know how people are responding to some of the whiskey the innovation um it's exciting you know i I think there's a a lot more to be written um with the whole category right i mean we're just scratching the surface as it relates to bourbon and uh, and american whiskeys outside of the u.s and um, I think that's going to be really exciting and a lot of fun for us. I think innovation continues to kind of push the envelope of the category in a neat way. Um, you know, we've got bourbon in general. You know, it's just um, it's it's you know it it's it just can be consumed in so many fun different ways. I think it's really really versatile. And so you br- you, you bring up the international markets, and you know this is very. This is a very crucial time in, in American whiskey history because we haven't had this kind of export interest before. And now we're, in addition to having that interest, we have, um, we have some trade concerns where people are pressing tariffs. And 
<laughs> and, and, you know, the, I can't think of a company that's more vulnerable to tariffs than, than Brown Foreman. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's, um, that's one of the tough outcomes of this is as these, this tariff thing's going on, you know, you, we're an industry that's for the most, in most cases, it's single source production. Right, we don't. The inputs of this product are 100% American, um, and so it's an easy target for tariffs outside of the U.S. because it doesn't really impact um, any of any, any supply side stuff that would be occurring from a European market, for instance. I mean, pretty much everything is for for bourbon and, and American whiskeys are made in America. Um, so it's isolated, and so it's the perfect target to be um, in the middle of a tariff war, unfortunately. And it, it's 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 the timing couldn't you know it's it's um, it's not great you know uh, it's not a huge deal for Old Forester. Obviously, we're um, we're a smaller brand um, that's got you know some nice momentum, um, but it's not uh, it's not you know it's, it's not a, it's, we don't have a huge footprint a global footprint yet. But Jack Daniels, your the sister brand that's uh, in Tennessee, that's that's correct. It hits them hard. It does. It does. Yeah. So you're not going to think of any sort of long term effects that Old Forester could have on this. I mean, is it because I'm, I'm sure you've had some sort of international expansion and thoughts? Yeah, of being I mean, able to so do we're it. we're look. We actually have a nice, really nice business that's uh, that's got some great momentum in Australia, but that's not a tariff issue. Um, you know, we're, we're in the UK. Um, and and that is more of a thing for us, but it's still a small brand that's being built in the on-premise. And, um, you know, Fred's right. I mean, this is really about the Woodfords and the Jack Daniels of the world. And, and, and that, that this has a real impact on, our, on those brands and, and how we go about resourcing and, and how we go about um, brand building in, in, uh, in, our, in the European and Asian and Latin American markets. So I'm not the best guy to talk about. Um, you know, the, you know sure. how that's impacting those brands, but it's obvious that uh, I do think you know, that, like, the, yeah, you, well, don't, you don't, you don't get the PDF every morning that says like, oh, the arrow's I, going I, down. I will, okay. I will say that if there's a if there's a brand within the uh, Brown Foreman portfolio that would survive like mm-hmm. a, a turf war with other countries, it would be Old Forester because it is it is such um, it is it's such funny. a the, the, powerful. Yeah, there was an article. Uh, my, my brother lives in London, and he, there was an article uh, that came out, and it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Okay, five things to do facing uh, this tariff war on, on bourbon and American whiskey, and, and I think one of the points was um, make uh, Jack Daniels popsicles that last longer. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> I think people are coming up with ways in which to uh, survive this period of time. I think we'll, we'll survive, although uh, I've— I've uh, screamed about it enough for yeah. the past. <laughs> so uh, I want to ask a question just about the old Forster brain and kind of where you see it. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. 
Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So I want to ask a question just about the old Forster brand and kind of where you see it. Do you see it as um, an everyday category, premium category, and are you doing anything to kind of elevate it into a premium category? Well, for sure. I, I think look, I mean, it's a great question, and it's the one we wrestle with most regularly. Um, is you know one of the wonderful aspects of the brand. If you talk to anybody that's been drinking it for a while or that's familiar with it. It's so accessible, you know. It's a great value bourbon, and and I think that's something that is core to that brand's DNA. And so, maintaining that accessibility, both in the flavor profile and the price point, it's part of how we look at brand building for Old Forester. So that's always going to be a thing. Um, now, recently, we've been we've had some success with the introduction of Whiskey Row, which allows us to play in price points that are you know, attractive. You know, these are $40 and above price points. Uh, There's um, a ton of consumer interest in those price points. And I think if you create a bourbon that's worth that price um, or even considered a value at that price, um, it's a special place to be. So I think we'll always try to look for ways, even at $40 or $55 or even looking at birthday bourbon, which is basically a hundred bucks now, that's still a good value for a 12-year-old, uh, yeah. you know, a highly allocated bourbon that, you know, is got a recommended sales price at 100 bucks. It's hard to find it for that. But, um, you know, that, that's, I think that's, that's uh, part of, you know, what we look at in our strategy. So I'll, I'll yeah. say that, you know, if we take a look at some of the, of the releases of the last two or three years of what's really hit the mark in, in our community, uh, Old Forester has been right there in the thick of it. The, the 2018 birthday bourbon is probably the best birthday bourbon of the past decade. The, Ooh, that's, uh, a, that's a bold statement. I'll have to take your word for it. We should have some. Where <laughs> yeah. is Which, by the way, he still owes me a bottle. Um, but <laughs> uh, I think you know he never got me. Oh, yeah, you all owe us a bottle. You all owe us a baby. But, I mean, everybody really regarded the 2013 as one of the best. Yeah, it was, it was very good. And then, then the Old Forester 1920 mm-hmm. is, is fantastic. Good. Yes. And I look at I and, and I look at the, you know what has changed within mm-hmm. your within your team. Um and I, I I think I feel like Jackie and you maybe you moral compass. It, it, like have, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you've got somebody inside, you know, who's doing a great job of, of selecting stuff for you. So what, yeah. and, and I've also noticed that when you walk around here, this is probably the most diverse distillery in the state. Uh, you see more diversity, you see more women, more people of color here. And I applaud you for that. But talk, talk us through your team and, and who's actually, you know, picking what what's going into the bottle right now. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, I mean, so 
uh, Chris Morris is the continues to be our master distiller and leads the innovation. Um, we, you know, Juan, who works at this distillery, is is you know he, he's a big part of making sure what's coming out of here tastes like what we've got at uh, Brown Foreman Distillery, where the, the vast majority of Old Forester is made. Jackie's came on board, I think, about three years ago. Right when I came on board, she was one of the first people that kind of was on our radar screen and, and the first person I think I hired um, as when I took over. And there's no question that she has had an impact on how we talk about these brands, mm-hmm. um, how we present them, both in flavor and in, in kind of the copy and, and the positioning of them. Um, she's uh, allowed us to think differently about innovation. Um, I think she's worked really well with Chris and helping kind of int- – you've got these two, char- two ind- individuals that are really good at what they do um, that have, I think – fairly um uh i mean they i think they just have they they have very well refined palates basically what i'm hearing is is chris and jackie go into a room and and they're fighting over a barrel and jackie's winning the 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 fights right now is that what you're saying no i wouldn't say that i would say i mean i i I mean if it did come down to a physical battle i would put my money on jackie (laughs) But I, I, I think that they work well together now. And Jackie, I mean, look, the birthday bourbon, how, how we're proofing some of this stuff. I mean, she's really the, the brains behind President's Choice. Um, you, you know, it's, we are lucky to have her. And, and she's you, had a great impact. Do you take food. a little bit of a Bill Samuels approach, or at least what he used to say is like, I don't mess with the whiskey. Do you, you let people kind of make the decisions on what's in the bottle and you just kind of oh, give a sure. stamp? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a great consumer, yeah, <laughs> um, and and uh, I'm I'm proud of my you know being a good longtime responsible consumer. Um, but I, I tell you, I mean, since I've been in this job, I've probably spent more time thinking about you know my palate and like frankly, my biggest problem with you know being like a whiskey taster is that i just don't have the reference points like i don't know what a scone welcome to the crowd tastes like <laughs> Except for right? fred, so yeah. i can't fred, like i can't fred starts yeah. reviewing we're like uh, yeah he's got it's hard over. he's got his, his t-shirt on that says like got marzipan yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i don't know i mean i just so i i mean i feel like I, i've got a, a sense of what i like but um yeah i i, I mean jackie's eye cans but feel yeah figuring out what consumers would like yeah 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 um, you know, and there's, frankly, there's just people that are, you know, it's in their DNA and they've worked really, really hard to develop a, a, a palate that's responsive to liquids that they're tasting. And we've got some really good people at that, that do that here. But there's a little bit of responsibility on your shoulders because there's another bottling called President's Choice. Yeah. That kind of falls within your realm so now. We kind I'm, of talk about I'm that. I'm more involved with that, <laughs> but, you know... Um, Jackie narrows it down to a point where it's hard to make a bad decision, you know? <laughs> yeah. it, it really is. And, well, you were part of the first one. And um, I've leaned into, yeah. you know, a, a lot of really good people. I know. He's like, I pick picked the first up. one. Yeah. 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 Well, we all did. We, we, we all There yeah. was like a group. I was certainly the- looking around the room and looking <laughs> at how people were responding. But, I mean, it was, yeah, it was uh, – it was interesting, you know, and it, you, look, I'm, I'm still learning, you know, uh, frankly, you don't want me picking, going out there and, you know, you, you've got to understand where the barrels are and why those barrels would 
possibly taste different than another barrel. Uh, certainly, as you kind of fluctuate the proofs around, you know, I, I, it's easier for me to kind of taste stuff that's below 110 proof and, and, and get a sense of, of you know, the, the character of that whiskey. But, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm not the whiskey uh, – I'm not a distinct. I want to talk a little bit about the culture – of Brown Foreman, you know, so you have three really prominent, you know, arguably all three iconic American whiskeys in Jack Daniels, Woodford Reserve, Old Forester. And it feels like within the company, it's a little bit like uh, University of Kentucky versus University of Louisville. <laughs> like there's like a, 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 a bit of a, a rivalry with, within the company. Would you, would you, do you see that or are you too close where? I think Fred's creating one. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I have never done that. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't look. I mean, the, the one thing you recognize any, uh, if you're fortunate enough to have a brand in your portfolio that's Jack Daniels or anything remotely close to that, it's a benefit. There's no doubt about it. You know, um, it, 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 in so many different ways, it's, it's even hard to put into words. Um, Opens a lot of doors, I imagine. It sure does. Mm. And um, But they don't have a president's choice, Jack Daniels. They do you not. Know, you can hang your hat on that. <laughs> and Sinatra, we do. They have a Sinatra, though. Yeah. They, uh, I mean, they, they've got great, they got a great portfolio. I mean, Woodford's got a great portfolio. You have to, uh, because um, uh, Woodford does, you guys kind of share some some barrels. You know, they, you know, the warehouses, do you ever have to fight for barrels or do you already have everything kind of allocated to you within the company? We have what we need. Yeah. Yeah. When uh, when will you be closer to like 100% of production here? Never. Yeah. <laughs> you'll always be, you'll always have a little, share a little still time at Shively? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, we, we have the capacity to do about 100,000 cases here. The brand's already, you know, everything all included is, over two hundred thousand, I think, and so we're um, we're, uh, we're we're you know, and we're growing. So the majority will continue to come out of Shively. Huh. Another question I kind of bring up is the uh, the statesman, right? Yeah. What kind of impact did Old Forts or Statesman and aligning yourself to a movie kind of have it as an impact on the business? Huh. Interesting question. Um, yeah, so that was a little bit out of left field, right? It's not, you know, if you look at how we've innovated or come out with products, it's been basically using our our history to drive that. And we had, a, you know, a really unique shot that brands of this size uh, w- with the kind of awareness we have would never get. And we jumped at it and it basically, we took a brand that didn't really exist and we put it on the market and sold, let's, you know, close to 10,000 cases and under 12 months and uh it was a it was a huge impact for us um it you know it got us new points of distribution all of a sudden we're in all these amc movie theaters and and around the introduction of that film when it came out and we're doing you know some menu development in those places and so you know uh we got we had a great partnership going with total wine um, they got behind the product and so it opens a bunch of doors it Mm. allows you to talk for one it um you know that that movie itself has such a huge following um, in the around the world that I think it probably gave us an avenue into consumers that would never ever buy a bourbon. 
or, or, or Old Forester for sure, but they love the movie and they see Eggsy and the, the cast drinking mm-hmm. it and they're like, well, geez, I got to try that. I mm-hmm. wonder what that's all about. And so you get, you, you're already kind of a, as a recruitment tool, it's wonderful. Market like Korea, where we're nowhere, um, we really don't have any product there. If it's there, it's come through duty-free in some way, shape, or form. That's the number, Kingsman was the number one movie in the country historically. It's the biggest movie. It's there like Star Wars. And um, that's weird. <laughs> and can and you explain? I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. But I mean, anyway, and so um, all of a sudden, you know, the, our Korean market's calling us like, hey, we got to get some of this stuff. So we're like getting pallets of it and flying it off to Korea so wow. that it's available in the market there. And you know, and if you look on, you know, I follow whatever old Forrester on Instagram. And, and so I'll see a lot of these Instagram posts from Asia. Um, Hashtag with, with, win. Yeah, with state, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the kind of. Well, you know, Campbell, from um, from a historical perspective, that was very big for Berman. Like, I, I, I'm i glad to hear that it, it it was a success for you. But from a category perspective, if you look back to the 1960s, you know, James Bond really started dictating what a lot of people would drink from a spirits perspective. You would start seeing people go to white spirits right. over brown spirits in large part because he wanted a martini shaken but not stirred. And so to see bourbon, to continue to have this pop culture presence in Mad Men, Boardwalk Empire, The Statesman, that's a huge play for continuing to capture consumers. Yeah. So are you all, do you have a strategy you know, to do more than just the Statesman? I mean, are we going to start seeing you in uh, um, some TV series or <laughs> anything like that? Um, I, I mean, look, our, our strategy is like be lucky, and uh, and so if they uh, approach us about it, yes, yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously. So uh, there's a show that just started, I think, on uh, Amazon uh, called the Romanoffs, and so they reached out to us and they needed a, a, a you know a period type of a decanter, so we grabbed them one of our old holiday decanters and they use that in the tv show i have not seen the show but i mean you know you're always getting these types of opportunities this movie came out recently called um like father uh, was like a huge hit on netflix and that movie has old forester in it and woodford reserve in it and that was something that just came around because you know somebody knew somebody and and uh, they they needed a you know, some bourbons for this scene and turned out that movie did really, really well on that Netflix platform. So a lot of people saw it. Mm. And, um, and I think, yeah, you look for opportunities to do that all the time. It's a great tool. It's fairly inexpensive and it gives you a huge audience if it's turns out to be a, a hit show or a hit movie. All right, so are you a movie buff by any means? I like movies. So if you were to do a movie tie-in and have Old Forrester be in anything, what would it be, past or present? Oh, gosh. Oh, That's a good question. Man. I mean, you already said Star Wars, so I don't think I don't think Luke no, would be Fred. sitting there. Oh, Fred said Star Wars? Okay. Um, or I or mean, no, Campbell did. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's, it's tough because movies I like are a little darker, and so you don't always want your product mm. featured. It's like Saw 3. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> yeah. well, what, so, what kind of darkness well, are we talking about? Like, like, going like, like uh, Unforgiven. You know, okay. love that movie, you yeah. know, but pretty dark, you know, and, and so that, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I look, I think it, you know, to me, Jack Daniels is the example of great products showing up in great scenes of great movies that are unforgettable. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it's Animal House or uh, any Paul Newman film, I mean, yeah. that, that Jack Daniels is by the, these heroes and, and villains by their sides. And, and it's, 
they become becomes part of the character. And I so so I think that's what's important. That if if you're gonna get, like we're with Matthew Vaughn and Kingsman, I mean he really built. Uh, a big portion of his movie around the idea of distillers from Kentucky. And that's pretty spectacular. I mean, each of his characters were, you know, had a very specific trait and they were, you know, associated with a particular style or a whiskey or a tequila or whatever it was. And it made sense. I mean, the story, when we got into the, how we got to Old Forester with that was that is that, he actually referenced as he was kind of giving us the short stick on it that, look, this is like 1919 pre-prohibition. And he goes on and, fi- and so he finishes telling me the story. And I was like, hey, look, you mentioned pre-prohibition. Is that why, – why would you know about that? He's like, well, I just need something. If these guys – if the, the agency was started in 1919 Kingsman, right, you know, on the heels of the World War, First World War – you know, that would have been around 1919, so it would have been pre-prohibition. So I think you need to have this. Well, look, look the, the brand you want to do it with then is Old Forester. We're the only brand that's been around before, during, and after prohibition. He's like, you're right, I'm going to do it with Old Forester. And so it just fit his story, and I think that's when these things work well. And it's something like that. I mean, do you have to how, – how does, how does it work? Are they paying you a royalty, or are you paying kind of like a – can't get in any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's because he's what looking a way to, to expand the yeah. ascot business. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Up, but by the way, be all over. Kingsman uh, did their main uh, the guy um, uh, who plays the Big Lebowski. What's his name? Um, I they, just know the, the Jeff Big Bridges. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. Jeff Bridges. He wore an ascot in the film. We, so. He was here for Derby. He was. He's like, where's Fred Minnick? This guy. Yeah. <laughs> Because you said there's only three people in the world that still wear them, and yeah. so now we got two of them. Well, got to find that third. Yeah, <laughs> the other guy is some random winemaker in France. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's kind of like one last question that we got to do, and just part of the service of this is, you know, you'd mentioned the history of this building, and being able to be at the place where where George had his own office and stuff like that. We're actually sitting in his office. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. See that photo right there? That's him in the with the dehydrator. There on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's him sitting back there, leaning in the chair. Oh, that's and amazing. That's real cool. Windows right so is there. that a, is that a Samsung or an iPhone? That's an iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that, you know what? I think it's a Canadian. It's, yeah. it's the BlackBerry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the Pony Express. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, how? Because I guess we, we everybody kind of wants to know is. Either I'm sure you've looked it up in the family tree, like how far away you're moved from the gene pool of of George himself, well, I'm, George Garvin. I'm, I'm fifth generation. Fifth so. generation. So is he your great 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 great, great grandfather? Okay. Yeah. Now the the the, intro, the funny thing is that so my Kenny's going to want a swab of your cheek later. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I mean, there's a lot of DNA testing going around right now. So yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to 23 of me this yeah. after we're done. The uh, <laughs> So my dad was uh, George Garvin Brown III. I was born in 67. Um, My grandfather, uh, George Garvin Brown II, passed away in, I think, 69. And so my brother was born in July of 69, and he was named George Garvin Brown IV. So you can imagine, as the eldest child, why... How come I didn't Black get Campbell. the Yeah, where did Campbell? <laughs> how come I don't get the the, num, the Roman numeral? You know, and so you and the, the I mean, obviously the reason was is that it's, I think it's a little distracting when you've got three Garvins running around the same kind of household. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, and my grandfather just passed away, and my my you know my mom and my dad had gar- my my brother, and so that was a nice tribute uh, to him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're so he's my great great grandfather. Real cool. Very well, cool. yeah, definitely a good story. And I want to say also thank you again for taking the opportunity and time to come on the show and tell us your story, the history, more about Statesman. I think it was your favorite movie, yeah. Unforgiven. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Love so, that movie. Yeah, so send him well, some ABC you. movie tickets, and, exactly. and he'll, he'll go watch yeah. a deep dark mystery movie or something. I would like to say that I think Old Forest would fit very nicely in The Hustler. Which yeah. uh, was actually centered around a lot of uh, bourbon. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't he? Uh, he was a uh, he was a was wholesaler. Like a, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a wholesaler. Paul and, was a and wholesaler. And he was like a big. Uh, he came down to Kentucky for yeah, a billiards right. tournament, and yeah. he ended up getting hammered on JTS Brown, eight year old. And it was eight year old bourbon that that drew him in. So it's uh, see, yeah, I was old, thinking old Forrester like, would have fit there. I was thinking like Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump would be a perfect fit. Yeah, you know, that no, that, that Lieutenant Dan needed rot gut stuff. Yeah, he, yeah, he didn't want anything of quality. He just wanted to get hammered. Very true. Yeah, yeah. What do I know? I would just say like something like Jurassic Park, just like running through the <laughs> running through the fields with a bottle of old force in your hand, like or something. a T like, Rex yeah. drinking some, uh, yeah, something like that. You get the uh, short I don't arms. Know. I don't, I got I don't short know. Arms. At, at an amusement park, if that's really <laughs> <appropriate>. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, this is a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys having me. It's on. always a pleasure. Absolutely. And you know, if people want to learn more about you, they can Google it. Apparently, they're you know getting the Wikipedia and fix all the stuff that I was getting incorrect. I'm very surprised I've, there's anything on me in Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. Most of it's good. Yeah. Most of it. 90%. But, yeah. But make sure you also, you follow, actually, you should come to the Old Forester Distillery, distilling yes, company here downtown. Here. Go and take a tour. Uh, it's a great experience. They've got literally everything here. They've got bottling. They've got cooperage. They've got distilling. They've got a barrel warehouse. I mean, you yeah, name it. The they, they sell it all. You know, I know if you can see a barrel yeah. get lit on fire it's pretty it's cool. the coolest elevator experience you'll ever see <laughs> there's an elevator here at the old forester distillery that i would say rivals something at disney it's a fantastic elevator ride i'm about to say charlie and the chocolate factory something like that yeah. i was gonna rival that one too i haven't seen that in a while uh, i mean you know it goes up it goes maybe down, old it goes forester left, goes, it goes in there they can have like a charlie chocolate factory bourbon ball with old forester <laughs> Ooh, now we're goes. thinking now we're thinking so make sure you go, you check that out. Follow Bourbon Pursuit as well as Fred Minnick on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also, if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to Bourbon Plus because there's a lot of great news stories that come out through there. It's a great magazine. It's, it's thank awesome. you, guys. beautiful. Thank you. It's yeah. Just great imagery and everything like that. But if you also like what you hear, support the show, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit because without you – the show, yep. it would be very tough to keep going. So we want to say thank you for everybody that helps support the show to, to do that, as well as all the questions. I mean, some of the questions we asked yeah, today were the, actually from some of the Patreon supporters out there today. Yeah, all the show suggestions, questions, feedback, we've listened to you all and we asked. So I, we really appreciate everyone listening and keep those coming. And uh, Fred, good to see you, man. And Always Campbell, a pleasure. Yeah. Good to see you. Thank you. So we'll see you next time. Right. Cheers. 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 Cheers.